15:67 or Mark 8, verse 31. I'm reading from the New International Version. He, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now to kind of line this up for you, I want to read a passage from a Puritan writer named John Owen. This is what he says about taking up our cross and um, following Jesus. I cannot but, by the way, complain of many professors of these days who instead of bringing forth such great and evident fruits of mortification as are expected, scarcely bear any leaves of it. Orange, glad I didn't there is say indeed a broad light <laughs> fallen upon the men yeah, of this generation, yeah, funny, the and together therewith many spiritual said. gifts hey, communicated, which, you with some fruity. other considerations, <laughs> have wonderfully enlarged the bounds yeah, that, that of professors hilarious. and profession. Hey, hey, Apple, Both they what? and it are exceedingly multiplied and increased. What kind of Hence there is a noise of religion and religious duties in every corner, preaching in abundance. Can you do and this? that not an empty, no, no, light, no, no, trivial, no, no, vain manner no, as formerly, no, 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 but to a good proportional no, 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 So that if you will measure the number of believers by light, Stop gifts, it. and profession, the church may have cause to say, Who hath warned me always? But now, if you will take the measure of them by this great discriminating grace of Christians, perhaps you will find their number not so multiplied. Where almost is that professor who owes his conversion to these days? Of light and so talks and professes at such a rate of spirituality as two and former days were in any measure acquainted with. If vain spending of time, idleness, unprofitableness of men's places, envy, strife, variance, emulations, wrath, pride, worldliness, selfishness be badges of Christians, then we have them amongst us in abundance. Can I give you a quiz on that? Audio never beats video. It just doesn't. Audio never beats video, as any husband trying to watch March Madness can testify. (laughs) Baby, it's not that we don't love you, it's just a fact. Audio never beats video. And essentially, that's what this passage comes down to. Because what I read to you 
was of infinitely greater value than that video that you watched instead of listening to me. Um, and the video I showed you was intentionally completely inane. No content, nothing worth remembering, doesn't ennoble you, right? But you couldn't help, you couldn't help yourself, could you? I mean, probably most of you didn't even try to listen to me once you saw that up there. They're like, get the noise up. Can you turn it up? I can still hear Nick. You know? And um, what we need to recognize, friends, what we need to recognize is that all of the things that pull us into sin, all the things that pull us away from the glory of God, all the things that make us concerned about the pleasures and comforts and idols of this world, all the things that make us less noble, less Christ-centered, more self-centered, more self-glorifying, all those things are on video. All of them. They're all on video, and God is on audio. He feels more remote. He, he doesn't feel as engaging. He's not right in front of our faces. He's not pulling us in multisensory ways in most occasions. And even his revelation, he was pleased to give us written. I mean, you'd think that like by now we would have gotten a video version, right? But what, what we need to recognize is that the fundamental issue in this passage isn't the bit about the cross and taking up your cross and following him. That's the solution to the problem. And the problem is Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then what does he say right after that? You don't have in your mind the things of God. You have in your mind the things of men. That's the issue he's after. After a couple of years of following Jesus, of seeing everything that Jesus has done, of being in a place where he probably ought to get it, but still pretty blind, but he finally gets to the place where he goes, I think you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, bingo. Right in that place, he still is completely switched around as to what reality is. And the reality is, is that you can have Jesus right in front of you, and God is still on audio. Because our perceptions are bent in a certain way to suck in the world and to block out God. God will always, always be on, on audio, and you will never be able to really listen until we kill the video. Because video will always kill the radio star. It's just the nature of video. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, if you want to get there from here, you can't just say, I like Jesus. You gotta kill the video. It's the only way. It's the only way to do it. There isn't another option. You can't just watch the video and say, aha, uh -huh, to her. She's not gonna do it. You have to recognize that you, until— Listen, I don't know about you guys, but my wife comes in the room and she says, did you listen to me? I say, no, baby. Why would I? The TV is on. Hold on a second. And then I have to turn it off. I have to go, okay, I'm ready. Just to hear that I need to get up and take out the trash, usually, you know. 
the video has got to go. And that's why Jesus is very blunt. He says, listen, if you want to come after me, you are going to have to die. And so you can say the sort of the point of this in a couple of different ways. Um, You could say it this way. You can say that to live the life of God, we have to daily die to the things of men, right? That's the language Jesus used, right? You don't have in mind the things of God, you have in mind the things of men. You could say it this way, which I'll explain in point number two, which is um, to live, to live the life of God, we have to trade in our functional saviors for the real savior every day. Which, which means in, the, in this pi- picture is we've got to turn off the world's video for God's audio. Or we're just never going to get it. It's not going to happen. So let me do three sort of quick things in relationship to this whole passage that I think Jesus is trying to use to drive this home. The first is, you like this new clicker? It moves, right? The first is um, the application of what Jesus is saying. And the application is, you and I have got to die. There is something so fundamental to who you are and who I am that the only proper metaphor for what needs to happen there is die. Now, Jesus is really careful to make this as vivid and clear and as possible. He, and if you trace these verses, there's scope, depth, importance, and vividness. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There's scope in that he's very clear. Who does this apply to? Everybody, right? He, he turns away from Peter to his disciples. Then, then Mark actually says he does what? He turns to the crowd and says, if anyone— wants to come after me, he's going to have to do this. Right? There's, there's no—this isn't varsity Christianity. This is everybody. Okay? Second is depth. <clears throat> that is, well, how far do we have to go with this? Well, you got to die. That's how far. It's kind of—it's it's it's, it's sort of the full—it's the full treatment. The tooth has got to come out. We can't drill this one. Okay? If anyone must, wants to come after me, he must deny himself— and take up his cross and follow me. Importance, I mean, I don't know if you were listening, but salvation and damnation are at stake in this passage, right? He says, what can you give in exchange for your soul? Right? I mean, it's it's very clear that this is not a, you're already Christian, you're fantastic, you're totally there, and if you want to like be like a monk or something and just be a super do-gooder and be on like the, the, you know— be out of the, above the public school sort of thing, then you could do this. You could really decide to go after holiness and, you know, get after it there, right? Um, That's not what happens here. The importance is, is that it says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there's vividness here. I mean, the reality is, is that almost, almost nobody in this room has ever seen anybody be killed. It's not very common for us. In first century Israel, the Romans made sure you'd seen it. Because in every road out of town and every road into town is where they tacked up these people onto wood. So that you could go by and ridicule them, and so they could bleed to death and be picked apart by birds and go gangrenous and die with you walking by them, so you'd get the point who shouldn't you mess with? Rome, right? 
I mean, th- these are folks, and, and listen, just a little bit before Jesus' lifetime, there had been plenty of rebellions so that plenty of people had been crucified. I mean, these folks had seen it in their lifetime. They had walked by people nailed up on wood, dying the most painful death possible. And people would, people would make fun of them. So when Jesus says to these folks, listen, if you want to come after me, you are going to have to take up your cross daily and follow me. Let me just tell you, friends, that was vivid. That was, I have no idea what in our experience I can tap into to make it that vivid for you. I have no idea. We don't have anything in our experience that is that horrific and that we've experienced, all of us, to even, to even tap into. Which is one of the reasons virtually none of us in the West believe in hell, right? We can't, we can't imagine anything horrible. We haven't experienced anything horrible enough to even believe in the concept. It's not that we don't believe in it philosophically. We're incapable of emotionally connecting with it because our lives aren't terrible enough. We haven't seen people shot to death in front of us with AK-47s. So how could that possibly be, right? It's, a, it's the same thing with how do you get vivid enough? There's, I have no idea. But what I know is that when Jesus said this, it was incredibly vivid to the people who heard it. You are going to be tortured to death every single day. And the issue with the cross wasn't just its pain. It, it was designed for pain, but it was also designed for humiliation. Sh- the shame of the cross was always associated with it. And so— um, People were encouraged. They were told when the crucifixions were, were, they were encouraged to come to them and ridicule people and throw fruit at them and make fun of them. In fact, um, there, are, there are places in the ancient literature where it was recorded that men who were nailed up on the cross would be so humiliated and yelled at that they would, they would try to urinate on the people. Because it was, it's like the only last attempt to, to strike back at the people who are standing around you, throwing things at you, making fun of you waiting for birds to land on you and pick at you. And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to come after me? This next bit isn't going to be real warm and fuzzy. Okay? Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take you every single day seeing me take up my cross and deciding, are you willing to take the cross to follow the man? Because that's what it's going to take. Because if you, there's something in you that has to die. Because if it doesn't die, you're never going to hear the audio because you're just always going to be on video. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus was so intentionally vivid about this is because that way it puts a really clear choice in front of us, Right? Really clear choice. You can either follow Jesus or you can lick the earth. It's up to you. It's totally up to you. You, you get to make a decision. You know the stakes. You know the illustration. He's totally clear. But here's one of the things we really need to understand. There are not two levels of Christianity. You will hear at some churches that there's salvation and then there's discipleship. And you know, you can be saved and nothing can change in your life. And, or, and, you can go, and then you can go on to like real meaty Christianity, but they're kind of different and you can do one without the other. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's not what this says. You got to pull something from some other book somewhere and pull it in here because that's not— what Jesus is saying this is, is what the Bible says is faith elsewhere. This is faith. This is what the choice of faith is. 
There's a guy walking that way with a cross, and there's one right there. And you have to make a choice whether you're, you so trust his plan of what he's doing that you're willing to follow him into it, even if it's picking that up and walking after him. It's not this trite little gig like, you know, there could be a heaven or a hell, and if you believed in Jesus, you'd have that squared away. That's not the sort of way Jesus talks, is it? And if you, if you look at the rest of the Bible, if you have eyes to see this whole issue of having to put some part of us to death in order to overcome sin and to be more like Jesus, you'll find it in a number of places. The death he, Jesus, died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Same thing in, in Romans 8, except in relationship to baptism. Right? Verse 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. You'll live. Because those who led by the Spirit are sons of God. Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. You see, that, you see that relationship again? I've been crucified with him. Jesus didn't get crucified so I wouldn't have to be crucified. Jesus didn't live out a holiness so that I wouldn't have to be bothered with it. Jesus lived out holiness so that I could be bothered with it. So that I could be part of it. So that there could be a reality of real truth, goodness, and beauty in me. That's why he died. So that just like he goes to the cross, I go with him. So as he's raised, so I will be also. Right? In 1 Corinthians, and Hebrews, and on and on and on. There's a whole bunch of places where we could go to for this. John Owen says it this way. I, I, here's why I have a couple quotes from Owen. Um, John Owen is the greatest English Puritan, which probably doesn't excite very many of you. Um, 1616 to 1683. And he, but in his volumes are like 15 volumes. He wrote thousands of pages. He was one of the presidents of, of one of the Oxford schools. And um, one of the books he wrote— um, in volume six is called The Mortification of Sin and Believers. Mortification is an old English word for killing it, okay? It, the whole book is about how you put sin to death, how you do this dying. It's one of the most nourishing books I've ever read. You gotta, you gotta get the feel for the old English, but it is incredibly insightful. And I have tweaked this so that it was more understandable. But here's one of the things he says early on in the book. Let no person think he is making any progress in holiness who does not walk over the belly of his sinful cravings. She that does not kill sin in her way takes no steps towards her journey's end. He that does not find himself constantly feeling the opposition of sin and does not attempt to put it to death in every way is at peace with it, not dying to it. The point of my writing is this. Sin remains, acts, and works within even the best of believers while they yet live in this life. And so it is their constant and daily duty to be putting it to death death. You can't just love Jesus. You have to kill sin. And if we do not become capable of the inner interpersonal violence necessary to see parts of us as parts of us that need to go, 
If we just, if everything inside of us, if every voice that bounces into your head and every urge that comes from your loins, you just believe is inextricably you and has to be embraced, you, you can't follow Jesus. You can't. You have to be able to say, this is me as I was meant to be. This is me as I have been bent and broken by sin. And this is going to die. Because I will love the beautiful. I will believe the true. I will act the righteous. I will be like the master. Not because I want to be more religious so I can look down on other people and envy other people. Because I want to be like him. And it is better than all of the ways I can pander to myself. It is higher. It is better. And that is audio worth imbibing. But the video has got to die or we can't listen to it. We'll ne we can't hear it. So second, quickly. So we're only on point two. That's great. Um, Jesus' intention. I think Jesus' intention is to put before our eyes this split. There is faith and there is idolatry. There is following the master. There is not following the master. There's following our intentions and personal cravings. There is living for God's kingdom. There is setting up a kingdom for ourselves. There are two very different ways to look at the world. And, and note this. Peter was trying to do this one while he was with Jesus. And he was get, trying to get Jesus into his plan. Now listen, if you can't identify with that, you're not nearly introspective enough. <laughs> because we Christians, I'm not, I mean, this is not for non-Christians. This is for Christians. We do this every single day. Peter starts following Jesus. He's like, yeah, I need to follow this guy. This is fantastic. And then he start, realizes he's going to be the Christ. Well, the Christ is the great king, which means if I'm the first of the disciples and he's going to be the great king, I'm going to be in great shape, right? Nothing sinful about that yet. But then what happens? Jesus goes, Here's how it's going to go down. I'm going to be rejected, imprisoned, flogged, killed. And you're coming right behind me. And Peter says what? No, 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 that's not how it's going to go at all, is it? Right? Because he got on this agenda, then he realized he could keep this agenda, but then he realized this was going this way, and this can't make that turn. And so much the worse for Jesus. I cannot tell you how faith essentially comes down to this. When what you think is going to get you happiness and what Jesus calls for you to do go in different directions, that's when you know whether or not you're a believer. As long as what Jesus wants you to do and what you want to do are going in the same directions, listen, you can say all you want— about loving Jesus and being a Christian and having faith and whatever. But until Jesus goes, nope, and you go, oh. <laughs> and you have to kill something to get free of it, to go this way, you don't even know yet what it means to have faith. That's why when people get on about like, oh, you Christians, all you believe is like, if you just believe you're going to heaven and it's just faith. I mean, yeah, well, that's true. Salvation is totally by grace. I'm not going to apologize for that. But I'll just tell you what, you have no idea what faith is. No idea what faith is. If you think it's just like, whoop. Faith is dying. <laughs> it's, 
It's dying. One of the categories I'd like to give you, if you find it helpful, is, um, is one, uh, it's, it's called a functional savior, okay? Because here's, here's the problem. We speak in religious jargon, and then we go and we talk about other things we don't speak in religious jargon, and, but the same dynamic is happening in lots of different things. Your savior is what you believe is going to get you what you need, what you believe you need to be happy. The, the human need to be happy is unconquerable. The only thing you can change is the object by which a human being thinks that they can get it. Okay? You can't stop wanting to be happy. You can only make a different bet on what's going to make you happy. That's all you can do. Okay? And so your savior is that which you trust to get you what you need. So there's, there's some human need that you've got that's there that you probably can't get rid of. And you have got to decide, and then you are implicitly making a decision what's going to get you what you need, okay? And so it might be approval, it might be security, it might be comfort, it might be freedom, it might be significance or meaning, it might be development, it might be a number of extrinsic or intrinsic things that you think are going to get you there. And the question is, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in to get it for you? That's all. That's, that's all. You see, because if, if what I need is approval, okay, now that's not my sin of choice. Mine is comfort. But if I need approval, right, and somebody comes up to me and says, Nick, you said you were going to do this for me. Um, I'm about ready to get doing it. Have you done it yet? And I've totally forgotten. Now I can say, now, see, now I got to make a choice. Whose approval am I going for? You see, if I want his approval, what am I going to do? I'm going to lie, right? It's almost done. I'll have it to you tomorrow afternoon, right? Why? Because his approval is more important than Jesus' approval. Why? Because this dude is on video. That's why. I haven't killed the video that is, I want your approval. As long as that's video, Jesus is on audio. I don't care. I'm going to lie. But when this dies— and what I need, I realize I need approval, but what I realize is I, I need his approval. I'm going to say to that guy, you know what? I'm going to do the thing that makes Jesus approve. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say, dude, I totally forgot. I'm really sorry. I totally forgot. And I don't know what to tell you other than I think I can still have it done tomorrow afternoon for you. But I, I don't have anything else to say besides that, honestly. I'm so, and I'm sorry. And here's the funny way it almost always works out. You, if you just do that, if you just be humble and you just please God, about half to, half to two-thirds of the time you end up with both, both people's approvals anyway. Um, a little while ago, my mom came back to stay with us from California, and she had bought this thing of jelly beans, which was stuffed full to the top. I don't know if you've had jelly belly. I don't really care for jelly beans, but jelly bellies are like the—I don't know, the—they're good. There's 49 different flavors and so forth. Anyway, it was, this is full to the top, okay? And so my mom goes into her room and the top is kind of screwed off like this and like an inch is gone. And no jelly belly taking had been authorized, okay? And so this had my oldest written all over it. And so my mom goes and talks to her and she's like, Abby, did you, um, 
Oh, and there were a couple of them on the floor. <laughs> yeah, good at crime is not something that runs in our family. And so my mom goes and talks to her, and she's like, you know, did you, did you steal the jelly beans? And she's just like, <sighs> she's like, because I found some on the floor, and um, the top wasn't screwed on, and so forth. And she's like, yeah, Nani, I didn't screw it back on hard, so when I could go back and take more, it wouldn't be hard to get into it. <laughs> You know, um, so does Abby believe in Jesus? Yes, she does. She believes in Jesus. But jelly beans were on video. Jelly beans were on video, and pleasing Jesus was on audio. And jelly beans will win every time. And listen, we don't grow out of that. That's the same reason we live with our girlfriend, because it's more economical. It's the same reason we worship our children because we need approval from them. We want them to worship us back. It's the same reason we're workaholics. It's the same reason why um, I, treat, I treat my, um, I treat my uh, hobbies like idols. It's the same reason we worship our sports teams. It's the same reason we have to have things bigger, better, brighter. It's the same reason we need people at work to just tell us we're fantastic. It's because all of those functional saviors are what we're looking to to save us, okay? Don't let the religious jargon throw you, okay? You can either say of our secular pursuits that these things are our saviors, or you can simply say, Jesus is who we're betting on for our happiness, ultimately. You can talk—you can use religious jargon to talk about both, or you could use non-religious language to talk about both. The fact is, what are you trusting in to bring you happiness in the areas where you have human need? Whatever the thing you're trusting in, that is your functional savior. That is on video, and you will not follow the, be able to follow the audio of Jesus until that video dies. Period. Period. It's got, it's got to die. And I don't know a way around it. If I knew a way around it, I think I would have, I would have come up with it because I, I, have, I have not been for lack of sinful energy in my life. Lastly, and quickly, um, oh, see, I just am not with it, am I? And you see, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's reversing, he is taking away any real ability to keep our functional saviors, okay? The cross is the, the dying of all of those human needs and seeking them in some other functional savior. So the pain of the cross is the opposite of our need of comfort. That our, our, our idolaters need for comfort has to die. The shame and the humiliation of the cross is the opposite of approval. Your, our need for approval, our idolaters need for it has to die, right? Death is the opposite of security. Condemnation is the opposite of freedom. For a lot of people, freedom is their functional savior. Particularly if you're under about 40. It's the reason why you cannot pick a restaurant more than 15 minutes before you leave. Okay? Because the idea is, is there's so many options out there that limiting myself in any way may cause me to lose a, a positive possibility. I'm not doing it. I need to have maximal freedom. I can't get married. Are you kidding me? Going from three billion options to one forever, no matter how she turns out? That's crazy. It's crazy. The, the idol of freedom has to die. 
You have to believe that real human freedom, as it was intended to be, is found in Christ's redemption of you, freeing you from the chains of sin in your sinful nature, so you can really be a human being like you were created to be, living for the true good, the true, the beautiful, for the glory of God, so that you are free. And that you can't be free any other way. And only then can you not have a data plan if you can't afford one. It's the only way. It's the only way you can get married and like it. It's the only way you can have children and see your expendable income go flying out the door. (laughs) And say, my life's great. I wouldn't have it any other way. I've made these decisions willingly because those other things, they had to die. Because I've got to take up this cross and I've got to follow Jesus. Let me just, let me end with, um, I've got a whole lot more here. I'm not really good at time management. Um, I'm reading a book called Augustine's Confessions right now. Um, Augustine's probably one of the six most important minds in the history of the Western world in terms of philosophy and psychology and so on. And, um, his confessions are kind of his testimony. Later on, after he'd become a bishop in North Africa, he kind of went back and reflected through his life. And there's this one episode where um, when he was 16, he, um, he and some of his friends went to a neighbor's orchard and just robbed this huge amount of pears off of his pear tree. Now, and he says, he says, you know, I had pears on our own pear tree and they were better. <laughs> he said, it wasn't, it wasn't like I needed them. It wasn't, it, it was just, I wanted to steal them. It, was, it wasn't any, it wasn't anything bigger than that. It was, I wanted the approval of my friends. And he, and he, and so he gets, he gets on a, another chapter later and he says, he says, why did I do it? He's like, it wasn't even just the approval of my friends. I mean, there's, there's something deeper in me that just had to do that. What was it? And what he, what he said is, is he said, I, re, I didn't realize, he said, I didn't realize this until years later, but I realized that when I could take something and not be immediately punished for it, it was like being God. It, it, was, it was like I could redefine reality. I could do wrong and not pay a penalty for it. I could— I could be my own God. And and essentially what he's saying is, is he's saying the reason why all sin really is bad is that it all ultimately is idolatry. It's all competing with Jesus for his glory. It is the belief, it is the participation in the false idea that we're omnipotent. And that creates a rush. Who wouldn't want to be a God? And he said, he said, he said at the basis of sin was this idea that I needed to be free. I needed to be omnipotent. I wanted, I wanted the approval of my friends. But he could go back to all these human needs and recognize that until he killed this, he couldn't be Christ's. And then later on in his life, um, Augustine was a bit of a, he was a bit of a profligate when it came to women. Um, his dad kind of saw it happening. By the time he was 16, he already had multiple sexual partners. And um, he, was a, he was a student of rhetoric and persuasion. So you can imagine how that goes on in the bar, right? Um, and he talked about the growing, the growing um, momentum his just fornicating heart had. He just thought women were a fantastic idea. And he was good at talking them into things. And so 
there's this point where he starts to read the Bible and he starts to realize that, that Jesus is real. And there's this place where he's praying and he said, God, give me purity and continence, which is old English for not being able to hold your bowels. It's, it's for being able not to have sex. That's what continence means in ancient literature. Give me purity, so purity of heart, and continence, the ability not to do it, but not yet. <laughs> but not yet. And it took him a little bit longer to really get it. And, and one of the things that we end up realizing when Jesus goes, there's your cross right there. You gonna pick it up? Is that that's really what most of us Christians are praying. Like you might not believe in Jesus, and I'll get to you in just a second, but those of us who are here and believe in Jesus, this passage is so, it, Jesus makes it so vivid for that reason. So we can go, there's your cross, you can pick it up and we go, not yet. Not yet. But Owen is right. He or she who doesn't daily walk over the belly of his sins and put them to death is not getting any closer to the end of their journey. The thing that you were redeemed to be, you are not yet becoming. The freedom you were meant to have, you don't have because you've traded in for some paltry other kind of freedom. The approval and affirmation of God that you were meant to enjoy, you have traded in for some other kind of affirmation from some little God G who stands over your cubicle at work or barks at you across the house. Friends, we were not made for that. We need to pitch the pears. We need to, we need to turn to Jesus. We need to, put the, we need to put to death the sins of the body. We need to kill our functional saviors or the video will always overpower the audio. Always. And if, if you've been here and you've been listening for a couple of weeks or just today or whatever, um, let, me just, let me just tell you this. Um, it is not easy to come to Jesus, okay? I'm just not gonna, I mean, let's not pretend. Like, it's, it's, it's simple. It's simple to come to Jesus, but it's not easy. A big part of who you think you are, that you weren't created to be, but that you are because of your sinful nature, does not want to die. And it will negotiate with you, and it will fight with you, and it will come up with all kinds of creative ideas about why I'm totally wrong about this. But I'm just telling you, you either kill that or it's going to kill you. That's all. And I, I can't help you with that other than just to tell you that if you don't kill it, it's going to kill you. And the power that you don't have to do that, Scripture said is given to us by the Spirit in the book of Romans and by the person we're following. The best news in this passage of Mark 8 is this. If anyone would come after me, What that means is anybody can come after him. The Jesus of Mark 1 to 8, the amazing Savior, the creator of all things, the maker of everything good, the giver of all true gifts, um, the one compelling human being who has ever lived is inviting you to follow him. Now, it doesn't look like a little trail down a sunny day. I get that. But that's because you haven't experienced the joy of being free from, from sin yet. And you haven't built the capacity to love the things Jesus loves. We're still licking the earth. You've got to build a new capacity to love. You've got to feel that new freedom. And then there's this enormous rush of joy. But until that happens, it just looks like dying. And friends, that's because it is. 
But there is no better thing you can choose to do than to give yourself unreservedly and completely to Jesus and to signify it publicly by getting in the waters of baptism, which you can do in a couple of weeks. Kill the video, hear the audio, and live. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us be a people who don't just say we like you, but realize that sin is in enormous ugliness. It will take our lives. It will negotiate. It will say anything to stay alive in us. And then it will take back any ground that it gives us in that negotiation and take even more. Father, don't, Father, don't let us die to that thing. Pour out your Holy Spirit on your people, Father. Pour it out on those who aren't yet your people. Pour out your Spirit. You're Pour out on us the ability to choose you. Pour out on us the ability and willingness to kill sin. Pour out on us um, the desire to love the true good and enlighten us as to how you in the, in the man, Jesus Christ, dead and risen, are the great picture of that to free us from sin, death, hell, the world, the devil, and all things that would keep us from being what you want to make us and redeem us into being. We pray that you'd kill the videos that would stand in front of you and take the attention you deserve and help us to attend to the greater things that you say to us. Plead for that in Christ's name, amen.